Hi, this is Eric Ludi for the Daily Thunder Podcast. If you are enjoying these messages and want to take these truths even deeper, I invite you to join us in Windsor, Colorado at Ellerslie for one of our upcoming five-week or week-long discipleship training programs. Ellerslie's discipleship training has been designed to ignite your spiritual fire and to give you the tools for a Christianity that really works. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3, and uh, <clears throat> we've been walking through this section that begins in verse 14, uh, which is the second prayer that Paul prayed uh, for those in Ephesus. And again, I've just been reading this every time, but I'd love to read uh, the entire passage just so it's fresh in our minds. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 14, uh, Paul says this, <clears throat> For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Uh, in the last study together, we were looking at verse 17 again, and uh, we were looking at this idea of being rooted and grounded. And if you remember, I know we've all slept since then, uh, but the idea of being rooted is I'm taking my roots, the roots of my life, and going down deep. Uh, I'm, I'm putting my roots into something. And we're not talking about just being uh, shallow, and we're not talking about just having a little bit of root system. We're talking about this idea to be firmly rooted, to be firmly digging your roots down into the depths of the soil, right? And if you think about a tree, it gives stability, uh, it gives the nourishment. It's, it's all kind of that idea. Uh, and it's not just this idea of rooted, but it's this idea of grounded. That just like if you're going to build a tall building, uh, you need a good foundation. And so what Paul is getting at is that you are to be rooted and grounded and have your stability and your nourishment and your security and, and all that stuff coming from one single thing. And he says it's all in love. And I mentioned this last time that as we get into this idea of love, you cannot think emotion. Uh, this is not, oh, I, I, I got a goosebump, right? Uh, it's, it's not like that, that sway of an emotion. This is not, oh, I'm having a great day. This is not, oh, look at her. I'm in love. It has, it's none of that kind of stuff. When we're talking about you are to be rooted and grounded in love, we are talking about a person who is love. His name is Jesus. And so you've you got to get a hold of this idea that we're not talking about you're to be rooted and grounded in emotion. You're not to be rooted and grounded in a feeling you're to be rooted and grounded in Jesus himself. Uh, when you get into this idea of in, the, in, the, in love, in the in love, that sounds really weird, but in the in love, that whole idea, again, goes back to this heart, uh, the motive, the drive of God himself. And of course, you know the probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture, 
right? John 3.16. For God so loved that he gave. That, that is his driving motivation. Uh, that, that there's just this consumption. That it is the love of God. And he is love, you understand. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 and 16, right? God is love. That this love, which is his nature, that, that, that the very root of, him, of himself is love. And again, we're not talking emotion. We're not talking about a feeling. We're talking about his nature. It's a perfect, holy, righteous, merciful love. And this love is compelling him. And isn't it amazing that he loved and he rescued and he gave mercy not because he needed us, but because we needed him. And we had no access to him. And we had no uh, possibility for relationship. And so what did he do? He did all that we needed. He rescued. He saved. He gave mercy. He pursued. He's, he's gone after. Isn't that an amazing thought? That truth be told, he does not need me, but I desperately need him. And so what does he do? He loves. And when you start looking at the action of God throughout Scripture, it's all motivated from this nature of love. He just cannot help himself. It's this unconditional, relentless, aggressive pursuit idea, uh, which is that word agape or agape. You realize that when you get right down to the very heart of the nature of God, when we're speaking about love, the nature of God is always outward focused. It is always giving. Uh, lust says, what can I get? What can I grab? It's all for me. It's an inward focus. But love is not about what I can get. Love is what can I give. Lust is what can I take. Love says, oh, how can I serve? And so isn't it interesting that here is the God of the universe who had every right to look at us and says, all right, serve me. Hey, just, just give me all, all that I need, all that I want. I'll just." And yet it's almost like he flips the whole thing upside down. And as you know from Philippians 2, right, verses 6 and 8, 6 or 8, Paul says, do you know what the very heart nature of our God is? It's that of a servant, that he humbled himself and he took on the form of a man. And not only that, but he was obedient even to the point of death on the cross. And that, that he just, he has this deep humility about himself. And he's just constantly, in fact, you see that in the life of Jesus. All over the places, you're just, no matter where you turn in the, in the, in the Gospels, Jesus was constantly rolling up his sleeves, pouring his life out, just saying, hey, how can I meet your needs? Hey, how can I love on you? Hey, how can I wash your feet? Just, hey, how, how can I just serve you? Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve. What is that? That's love. Because he is love. So here is the God of the universe who has every right to demand us to do things for him. And yet he goes, oh, can I just, can I just, can I just do things for you? Well, well God, I, I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm, I've walked in rebellion. I've shaken my fist in your face. He goes, I know. Can I redeem that? And can I just radically change your life? And can we get wrapped up in intimacy and relationship? And isn't that a marvel? Will you tell your faces? That's amazing. Because when you look at all the other pagan world religions, and we, we know they're fake, but when you look at the pagan world religions all throughout history, the reason why the gods created humanity, right, in the stories, is because the gods wanted something. They were demanding. They were selfish. They were lustful. And so they created humanity to serve them. And yet the one true God flips it upside down and says, oh, can I serve you? 
Can I just give you everything that you need for life and godliness? Hey, can I just wash your feet? Can I just redeem you? Can I just, can, can I just, can I just give you what you need, which is me? And he is motivated by love. That is so mind-boggling to me that here is the God of the universe who is just consumed with his nature of love. Now, it is a righteous love, and it is a holy love, and it is a perfect love, but oh, it is still love. And he will judge. We have no problem with that. But how's he going to judge? He's going to be judging out of that love. Isn't it interesting when you look at the parables? Uh, for example, you have the wheat and the tares. Right? And at the time of the judgment, right, we, have, we pull up the wheat and we pull up the tares and we separate the two. There is nothing mean and nasty and vindictive about the judgment. Yeah, you put the wheat over here. And then you have these tears. Well, what do you do with tears? You burn them. And it's not that the farmer goes, ha, 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 burn. No, that's what a pyro says, right? We're not, we're not talking about, there's, there's nothing in the passage about the delight of the burning. It's just that's what you do with tears. That's what you do with dead branches. So there's nothing evil. It's all out of love, folks. And yes, there is a judgment. And yes, yes, there is a separation. And so we're not downplaying any of that. But you realize everything that God does is motivated and compelled by his love because he is love. He doesn't have love. He is love. And again, he's not an emotion, so don't go that direction. He's not a feeling, so don't go that direction. But he is so acquainted, he, down to the very nature of himself, he is this love. Are you getting this? And again, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 and 16, John says that God is agape, that he is this love. So when you come back in our passage and you're looking at this whole flow of the context, Paul says that you are to be rooted and grounded in love, in his nature, and that which drives him. So that which consumes him needs to consume you. So I'm not just sinking my roots down into some random things. I'm not just building the foundation of my life on something you know, random, I am building my life, I'm rooting my life in the very life, the very nature of God himself. Or as Paul says in Romans 8, 29, that, that I'm being conformed into his image. That as I'm rooting myself down in, as, as I'm grounded in, in his love, he's really conforming, he's reshaping, he's transforming, he's, he's molding me to look like Jesus. Now, I don't become Jesus. We understand that. But his life should be evident through me. Why? Because I am rooted and grounded in him, in his nature. So with that as a, as a foundation, uh, let me give you these three ideas or these three outflows of what it means to be rooted and grounded in love. Again, we're talking about a person, not an emotion. Wouldn't it be neat if you got so wrapped up in love it just became your life too? In fact, I found this quote by one of the scholars. He, he said, the net result of this whole thing is an emphasis on love as the primary feature of the Christian life and experience. Do you know what the, what the very essence, do you know what the primary feature of your life and experience should be? Love. So let me give you three ideas. If I am rooted and grounded in Christ, there's going to be three realities or three outflows of that. Number one, that love is going to lead us to the person, not 
more information. Uh, we live in a culture that is just wrapped up in information, just details. And But if I'm getting wrapped up in love, it's not going to drive me to more information and knowledge. Love is going to drive me to a person. Uh, for example, uh, if you're married uh, or if you're engaged or if you're in a relationship, you realize that the love that you have for the individual shouldn't just drive you to get more information about the individual. It should cause you to want to spend time with the individual. That should make sense for like four people in this room. The rest of us can just imagine. Oh, makes sense. <clears throat> so if love is the person, then we should be going after not more information and knowledge about the person. We should be going after the person. So wouldn't it be amazing if I'm rooted and grounded in Jesus that that rooted and grounded in Jesus would cause me to actually press into more of Jesus. Not merely information about Jesus. In fact, uh, you see this even in our passage. Look at verse 18, uh, which we're going to look at next. Hello. Just lost the, our, our lovely audio. Uh, I, I thought we were going to be looking at it this time, but uh, we'll, we'll be looking at this. What on earth? Hello, hello. Well, we'll, we'll just keep trying. <clears throat> so, maybe I shouldn't say you. So, hypothetically on Thursday, do I still have audio? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at verse 18 and 19. But, but look at what Paul says in this idea of not just knowing about love, but actually knowing love. He says in verse 18 of Ephesians 3, that you comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. And that word know is that you would experience love which surpasses the information of it. And we're going to dive more into that on Thursday. But wouldn't it be amazing that the love that I have, the love that I am rooted and grounded in, doesn't just give me more information about Jesus, it gets me all wrapped up in the person of Jesus. That my love begins to increase for the one who is love. That's the, that's the idea. So you realize that it's the, in the embracing of love, not knowledge, that builds us up as Christians. Christians are not the ones who have their heads full of information. Christians are the ones whose lives are full of the very presence, the life, the love of the person of Christ. And yes, knowledge is important. And yes, you, you need to know the scriptures. And, and yes, you need to know about Jesus. But the information sh should drive you to a greater intimacy and relationship with the person. In other words, you can know all about Jesus and never know Jesus. And when you look at the academic world today, there's a lot of secular schools who, who study parts of Scripture. And there's a, there's a lot of academics who teach in our Bible colleges and seminaries who know a lot of information. There's a lot of pastors, sadly, who know all this information about Jesus who actually do not know Jesus. That they have all this academic understanding and they have all this information and they have all the things figured out and they can debate you up and down and, and they, they know all the big terminologies and yet when you look at their life, their lives are dead because they, they've not actually embraced the one who is love. 
So can I encourage you, if you are going to be rooted and grounded in love, it's not going to increase the information of love. It's going to increase the intimacy with the one who is love. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. At the end of that verse, Paul says this. He says, knowledge makes arrogant, or knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So wouldn't it be interesting if I didn't get my life wrapped up in that which puffs me up, knowledge, what if I would just go crazy with love? And you got to realize, again, that love is not inward focus. Love does not guard and protect. Love is giving. Love pours out. Love is more concerned with you. Love is constantly rolling up its sleeves saying, hey, how can I serve? How can I wash, wash your feet? Hey, how can I meet your needs? Hey, how can I just love on you? And so the more I, the more I embrace Jesus, the more I get to know the one who is love, the less I'm going to think about myself and the more I'm going to pour my life out for you. We need that. Ah, this scholar comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, what would you say is the, out of all the law of the Old Testament? Hey, if, if you were to take all, all the options of the Old Testament and you're going to summarize the entire of the Old Testament, what would you say is the greatest of the commandments? And Jesus, in my mind, he doesn't say this, but he probably smiled. It was like, you know. I mean, come on, you know this. Because this is, this is the verse that you quote every single day. Uh, in fact, good Jews would quote the Shema every morning and every evening. And Jesus, being a good Jew, he was Jewish, the likelihood is he said this every single day. Uh, on, on Sabbath, on the Shabbat, when the Jews gathered in the synagogue, they always started with this verse. And what's the verse? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, the Shema. Hear, O Israel. And so Jesus, when he's asked and confronted, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Hey, what is the most important thing in the Old Testament? What should my focus be? Jesus goes, that's easy. You say it all, all the time. And this is what it says, Matthew 22, uh, verse 37 through 40. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole. That the whole law and the prophets hang on these two things. Love God, love people. Does that describe your life? It's not, hey, know a lot about God. This is not about, hey, can you pass the Bible quizzing test? This is not, hey, do you have all the, the data and the facts and the information? And can you debate this up and down? This is, hey, have you gotten into a relationship? And do you actually, practically love God with all? And by the way, do you know what the word all in both Hebrew and Greek mean? Oh, you guys are scholars. <laughs> yeah, it means all. Which means there should be no aspect of your life that is not consumed with the person of Jesus. Is that true about you? Because if you are rooted and grounded in the one who is love, it's going to drive you to the person. Uh, number two, if I am rooted and grounded in love, then love, the person, is going to become my motive. What would happen if I was so filled with the one who is love that his nature, his love, becomes the motive for which I do everything in my life? 
In other words, that he begins to showcase himself through how I think, through how I talk, through how I live. See, what if the whole thrust of my life, what if the motive of my life, what if, what if the attitude behind every action of my life was love? Which again, is not self-word focus. This is not, hey, how can I guard and protect and, and schmooze and how do I build my thing? This is, hey, how can I pour my life out? How can I meet needs? How can I meet the needs? Hey, how can I wash your feet? Hey, how can I just serve? Hey, how can I just stoop? What if that was the motive of your life? First uh, John chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. Listen to this. John writes, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested or demonstrated in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Does that describe you? That because of the overwhelming love of Christ in your life, it just now becomes the driving force and the reality, the motive for everything that you do? Is that true? Or would you have to admit, well, there's still selfishness and there's still self-protection and there's still a focus on me and how do I protect and how do I you know, have my comfort and how do I have my time and how do I have my pleasure and how do I have my hobbies and how do I have my... Well, yeah, if I don't protect my money, you're going to take it. So, hey, if I don't protect my time, you're going to abuse it. Hey, if I don't protect my... What if this is not about you? What if this is not about us? What, what if this is about, Lord, here, here I am. However you want to use my life, I'm ready. Well, well can, I, can, he take, can I take you out into the world and cause you to bleed, suffer, and die so I can demonstrate my love to the world? That's what Jesus did. Hey, can, can, I, can I use your life like a John the Baptist and forerun a movement of God, but it's, because, it's going to be because of your death when they cut your head off that allows this whole thing to launch? Hey, would you be so willing Sure. Hey, can I send you down with a couple of guys down to the Aka Indians? And I, hey, you're going to have about 30 seconds with them. And you're going to, hey, you're going to so demonstrate the love of Christ by how you die that it is going to open their hearts to the, receive the message of the gospel when your wives come down and preach to them after your death. Hey, would you be so willing? See, love is not about you. Love is being filled up with his life where it just has to ooze out of you. You just can't help yourself. Wouldn't that be amazing? If the motive and the attitude of your life was all about love, and this wasn't about self-protection, this wasn't about how to guard and protect, uh, this wasn't about how to, how to get my bank account, this wasn't about how to keep my free time my free time, wouldn't it be amazing if I just, oh, Lord, here's my life. Take it, use it however you want to. As long as you can demonstrate your life, your love, your truth through this vessel, go at it. Go crazy. Spill it, spend it for the king and for the kingdom. Anything that's done not from a motive of love 
profits nothing. In other words, anything that you do that is not motivated by love, you realize the end of that is nothing. That, hey, when, I, when I'm doing something that's motivated by selfishness, the profit of that is nothing. And it could be the, even the same action. Hey, I'm going to go help the homeless. Why? So I look really spiritual. You realize if I'm helping the homeless, or if I'm sharing the gospel, or I'm doing whatever, because I want, I want to be the focus, and this is all about me, then my motive is now twisted. Well, why do I want to help the homeless? Because God loves the homeless, and they desperately need Jesus. Same action, different motive. But you realize God looks at the motive. So when you turn to 1 Corinthians 13, don't do that. You don't, you don't have to turn there. But when you, when you look at 1 Corinthians 13, the whole chapter of love, the first three verses establish this idea that if you don't have the motive of love, what good is your actions? So just listen to this. Paul says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, <laughs> could you imagine? I mean, that's, that's, that's lofty speech. But yet do not have love. He says, I, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and all knowledge and, and I have all faith, even so much to remove mountains. Now you'd have to admit that if someone could prophesy and have all these mysteries and knowledge and faith that can move a mountain, we would go, wow. Super Christian. <laughs> but yet Paul says, if you have all that and yet not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So you got to realize that God does not look at the action as much as he looks at the motive. Well, I'm helping the homeless. Yeah, but why? Well, I'm doing evangelism. I'm doing missions. Yeah, but why? I'm preaching, I'm preaching a sermon. Yeah, but why? And it's not that God doesn't like the action, but the action, seemingly in Scripture, is less important than the motive. And he's after the motive. So could I get so rooted and grounded in the one who is love that the motive of my life was that love? And that what is compelling me, what is just driving me, is the love. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.14 Paul's making this incredible argument, the fact that we are radically changed because of the life of Jesus. But listen to how he starts this. He says, For the love of Christ compels or controls us. We just can't help ourselves. Why? Because he's changed us. And the overwhelming love of God is just compelling me. I just, there's a drive within me that I just, I, I can't get, I can't explain. It's just, oh, there's a consumption. Is that true in you? Wouldn't it be amazing if love was no longer a duty, but a delight in your life? That this wasn't a, all right, buckle down, I'm going to love some people. See, what if you just couldn't help yourself? Uh, so, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, Paul is concluding 1 Corinthians, and uh, he's given this last grand exhortation, and he says to the church, 
Love this. Be, be, be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Amen. It's a good verse. But then listen to what he says in verse 14. He says, let all that you do be done in love. That everything in your life should be done out of love. So when you wake up in the morning, what should your motive be for waking up in the morning? Brushing your teeth. There's a reason you need to brush your teeth. And it's not even because of your teeth. If you get cavities, I really don't care. But you should brush your teeth. Why? Out of love for me. Because when I come up and talk to you and I'm knocked over, that's not love. And I know that sounds cheesy, but that is true. And some of you do need to hear that. Why do you need to wear deodorant? It's not for you. It's for the love that you have for everybody else around you. And I know this sounds cheesy, but it's true. Does it make any sense? See, what, what, if, what if the reason, you know, some big, strong, we won't give any names, but, you know, some, some strong guys, why, what should the motive of working out be? Wouldn't it be neat if the motive of you working out was love? Not, not so you can have this great beach body and, you know, an eight-pack abs. Wouldn't it be amazing if the reason you worked out or the reason you became healthy is so that you could actually love more? That you're actually in a, in a, in a healthy position to love? See, w- wouldn't it be amazing if the reason you woke up in the morning was so that you could dispense love? Wouldn't it be amazing if the reason you went to bed at night, praise the Lord, was actually motivated out of love? Because you realize that, hey, if, if, I don't, if I don't get adequate rest tonight, then I'm, I'm not going to be any good tomorrow. And hey, if I'm exhausted today, do you know, do you know what the motive of my nap is going to be this afternoon? I'm not going to get one. But if I had time this afternoon and I took a nap and I made an investment, do you know why I'm going to do that? Do you know what the motive of that is? Wouldn't it be neat if that was motivated out of love? So that the rest of my day I could be more outward focused? Because if I'm groggy and I'm, and I'm, and I'm tired, I, I can't serve well. Hey, if I go play disc golf, wouldn't it be neat if the motive of me playing disc golf was love? And Patrick says amen. <laughs> Why? Because hey, as I'm out on the course of people, right, I, I got I to pour into the individuals. But hey, this is, it's a time of me walking around in the nature, and it's fun, and it's relaxing, and it's rejuvenating, and it's a fun hobby. But why, why am I having a fun hobby? So that I'm refreshed, so that I can... See, what if the motto of your entire life was love? Is that true? Is all that you do done in love? Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called a freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, Use that freedom through love. Serve one another. Hey, you're, you made, you've been made free. So what should you do with your freedom? Go crazy with love. Just go crazy. And just love everyone around you. And you realize, biblically, there is no law against love. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. This world is desperately looking for love. 
And it's looking for love in all the wrong places because the love that the world is looking for is all selfish and me-focused. So if you go out and you start genuinely loving out of the love of Christ, you realize people are not going to be like, could you stop doing that? Hate me. Just, just start hating me. No one's going to say that. They might say it, but they don't mean it. Why? Because they, they crave the love of Christ that is to ooze forth out of your life. So again, if I am rooted and grounded in, in, in Christ, rooted and grounded in love, then that should drive me to a greater intimacy with the person, not just mere information. Number two, if I'm rooted and grounded in Christ, then the driving motive, the motivation of my life would be that love. And lastly, third, if I really am rooted and grounded in Christ, do you realize that it is that love that will define my life? It's not just the motive. It begins to be the definition for my life. Wouldn't it be amazing if the love and the life of Christ defined your relationship with God, defined your relationship with other people, it defines your life as a, as a Christian? Again, it goes back to that Deuteronomy 6 passage, the Shema. And again, they would quote this every morning, every evening on the Sabbath day. This is how they would start the, the synagogue time. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And again, it's repeated all over the New Testament. And I, I love how Mark quotes that passage because he adds one more. And of course, the reason he's adding one more is because when you look at this idea in Deuteronomy, it says heart, soul, and might. And in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, 30 and 31, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And it's interesting, he added, he added in the mind because you understand in this Greek culture, in this Greek Roman culture, they were all infatuated with the mind. And now in the Hebrew concept, right, in the Deuteronomy, that was included in that heart and soul language. So when we're talking about the heart, when we're talking about the soul, we're talking about the stuff that's in your mind as well. But it's like Mark, as he's recording this, is like trying to emphasize, hey, we're talking about your brain too, your mind stuff, which is what that culture was wrapped up in. That's what our culture is wrapped up in. So wouldn't it be phenomenal if your whole life was defined by an all-consuming love for God? And because of that, a love for the people around you. That is the greatest commandment, says Jesus. Uh, the disciples and Jesus are in the upper room. And in John 13, verse 35, Jesus looks at the disciples and he says this, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. <gasps> how is the world going to know we're disciples? I'll tell you how. We're going to carry around big family Bibles. And we're going to look really spiritual. Yeah, that's how they're going to know we're Christians. Or hey, we can get big crosses. We'll hang around our necks, on our ears. Yeah. Kind of cool. Hey, we'll wear Christian t-shirts. I'm a Christian. Why? So people know we're a Christian. Do you realize that the defining attribute, the defining chief characteristic for a Christian, according to Jesus, is love is the love that you have for one another. So Jesus looks at the disciples and says, look, the whole world is going to know that you are a Christian. How? Because you're going to love one another. Wouldn't that be amazing? That I am so consumed with love for you 
that the world goes, hmm, they're Christians. And yet when you look at our churches today, it's like they're almost anything but places of love. They're places of contention. They're places of argument. They're places of frustration. Hey, we're splitting churches over the color of carpet, the style of music. Right now, it's, you know, whether, whether it's a vaccine passport to get into church. Right, we, we are splitting the church over all this nonsensical stuff. And the thing we are not known for is our love. You look at pop culture today and what they uh, showcase Christians as, right, in movies and television stuff. And Christians are the bumbling fools. Or they're the uh, quote-unquote bigots, right? They're just mad and mean and nasty over everything. Somehow we have missed our commission. And what we are not known for in the culture today is the one thing Jesus says we're to be known for. That we are to be defined by love. Now, love does not look over sin. Love is not just all-inclusive. It doesn't just say, live however you want. I'll love you. That's not love, folks. And yes, it is true that God so loved the world that he was willing to be born in a stable full of muck and mire of animals, but he loves you far too much to leave you as a stable. So yes, I can look at a person who's living in sin and say, look, hey, I want to walk with you and I, I will genuinely love you, but I love you far too much to leave you in that kind of a lifestyle because that is destroying you. So love doesn't just overlook. Love does not have a blind eye. Love is not just say, well, do whatever you want and it's okay. You'll still make it to heaven. Because we're talking about a holy, righteous, perfect love. But we're still supposed to be known by our love. Wouldn't it be neat of all these groups that hate Christians? If they just could not get over the fact that we loved them so much that we were pursuing them. I mean, could you imagine Antifa Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, right? Uh, or uh, the LGBTQ stuff. That they're just, they're all these groups that are getting so frustrated with Christians. Wouldn't it be amazing if we just, if we would pursue them and love on them to such a, not that we overlook sin, but we were just so aggressively pursuing them? Those Democrats. Yeah, what if we love them? Those Republicans. What if we love them? And we were actually known for love. Now, primarily in that passage, it's love for one another. I get that. And it needs to start in the church because if we can't do this in the church, how are we going to love the world? But it is God's overwhelming love for the world that caused him to go and give. Is that true in your life? Well, you don't know how people have hurt me. Have you read Romans 5.8? Romans 5, 8, here I am. I'm shaking my fist in God's face. I am walking in sin and rebellion. And while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Why? He loved. And if Christ was willing to overlook my sin, not overlook it in the sense of override, uh, how would I say this? Uh, turn a blind eye to it. But he saw the need of me in the midst of my rebellion and sin. And says, I'm not going to let that stand in the way of my love for you. I'm changing you. If that's true about God, how much more, if the love of God is inside of us and we are rooted and grounded in love, should that cause us to look at the people around us and just say, I know you've hurt me, but I'm going to love you far too much to let that stand in the way because you need Jesus. 
And what if the overwhelming, consuming, driving love of God became our motive, which then defined our lives? Uh, Colossians chapter 3, <clears throat> uh, verse 12 through 14, says, Paul says, So as those who've been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on, get this, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever can complain against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all those things, so beyond a heart of compassion, beyond kindness, beyond humility, beyond gentleness, beyond patience, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, at the very end of that chapter, verse 13, Paul says, but now faith, hope, love, Abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Is that true in your life? Uh, you've probably done this, but uh, if you've ever read 1 Corinthians 13, isn't it amazing if, if Jesus is love? He doesn't just have love, he is love. That at his nature is, is love. That you could replace all the words love with Jesus. I don't know if you've ever done that, it's amazing. Uh, for example, Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind. Jesus is not jealous. He does not brag. He is not arrogant. He does not act unbecomingly. He does not seek his own. He is not provoked. He does not take into account a wrong suffered. He does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but he always rejoices in truth. He bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things because he never fails. That is true. But wouldn't it be fascinating if you got so rooted and grounded in love, the life, the character of Jesus, that you could put your name in there too. Can I honestly say Nathan is patient? Nathan is kind. Nathan is not jealous. He does not brag. He is not arrogant. He does not act unbecomingly. He does not seek his own. He is not provoked. He does not take into account a wrong suffered. He does not rejoice in unrighteousness. He always rejoices in the truth. Does, do I always believe all things, bear all things, hope all things, endure all things? That's convicting. But yet that should be the defining reality of my life if I'm rooted and grounded in Christ. Is that true in you? Have you honestly rooted and grounded yourself in the life and the love of Jesus? Because if so, you realize it's not going to fill us up with more information and more knowledge. It's going to drive us into greater intimacy with the person. That if I am rooted and grounded then love, his life, is going to be the motive for everything that I do. Whether I get up in the morning or whether I go to bed at night, everything in between is motivated through this overwhelming desire of love. And if that was true in my life, that would begin to define me. That the world would look at my life and go, yep, there he is, that one who just cannot stop loving me. That no matter what I do, he just, he's just aggressive in his love. Uh-huh. Wouldn't that be amazing if you were known for that? Wouldn't it be amazing if the church today was known for that? And regardless of what culture can say about Christians, their conclusion is, well, we may not agree with them, but they look an awfully lot like Jesus because they are filled with his life and his nature. Let's pray. Lord, we need that. 
maybe nobody else in this room does, but Lord, I need that. Lord, I don't want just more information about you. I, I want you. Lord, I, I don't want to just be rooted and grounded in, in love and it becomes this informational brain dump. Lord, I, I look at the modern church today and we're so full of theology and doctrine and information and, and more and more books that we, we don't have the behavior. We have the head knowledge, but our life doesn't reflect the reality of what we believe. Lord, I don't, I don't want to get so wrapped up in information that I lose you. Lord, I don't want to just know so much about you that I don't know you. Lord, could you allow the fact that I am to be rooted and grounded in you drive me to you? Lord, what would it look like if, if everything that I did, if everything that I said, if, if every thought that I had in my mind was motivated by love, by you? And that just as, as you looked at the Father and said, hey, I do nothing, I speak nothing, except that which the Father is doing and that which the Father is speaking, Lord, Lord could, could there be nothing going on in my life that isn't motivated by you. And it's not that I can't have hobbies, and it's not that I can't rest, and it's not, but Lord, what if in even all, all those things, the motive of that it was still love? Lord, could you come and like a consuming fire purge, burn up every motive in my life, every attitude, every drive, every consumption in my being outside of you? Lord, I don't want to just do something because of duty. I don't want to just do something because it's a have to. I don't want to just do a good deed because, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. Lord, I want to be compelled from the depths of my being because you are in the depths of my being. So, Lord, what would it look like if everything in my life, every word that comes out, every thought in my brain was motivated by love? And, Lord, could I be defined by that? If there's one attribute, if there's one characteristic, if there's one thing that the world could look upon my life and go, well, yep, that, that's true of him. Well, could it be of love? And as Paul defines love in 1 Corinthians 13, which is the perfect picture of you, Lord, somehow in the embrace of you, the person, the one who is love, could you so radically change anything and everything in my life that love defines me, you define me? That your character defines my life. That what this world knows about my life is that I'm the one who loves. That everything I do is motivated out of love. So Lord, would you make me patient and kind and not jealous? Not let me brag or be arrogant. Not let me act unbecomingly. Let me not seek my own. Let me not be provoked. Let me not take into account wrong suffered. Don't, don't let me rejoice in unrighteousness, but let me always rejoice in truth. Lord, will you let me bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things because the one who is love has come and is indwelling my life. Oh Lord, this, this generation desperately needs to see the reality of true love, which is not self-seeking. It's not self-guarding. It's not self-promoting. In fact, it has nothing to do with self. Lord, would you turn my gaze outward? And so fill me with your love. And Lord, we need this in the church. We need this in the body of Christ. Lord, would you make us a pure and spotless bride who is known for our love one for another. 
Lord, thank you that you are love. That you love us so much that you gave your only begotten Son. And that you are willing to be birthed in a mucky stable. Lord, I thank you even more so that you love us so much that you refuse to leave us the way that we are. And that you desire to keep pulling us and conforming and transforming us in the image of the dear Son, Jesus. Oh, Lord, we love you. Lord, this morning, we, we want to we worship. We want to turn our gaze heavenward. We want to behold the reality of who you are. Lord, we don't want to just say words. We don't want to just even sing songs. We, Lord, could we worship this morning? In the midst of beholding you, could there just be something that bubbles up from within us? And Lord, could we worship you out of a motive of love for you? Lord, we just give you all the praise and the glory. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.